Hi, I'm Ivy Austin, and you're listening to a podcast where nostalgia comes alive. It's Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Roll it! Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, where nostalgia comes alive. I'll be here with us as always, I'm your host, Jake Devonbaum, we as always, our co-host, Chris Bixby, and Matt Bingo. How you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Hi everybody. How you doing, Jakey? That's good to hear. As always, I'm I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Matt, what do we have for today? Our guest today is an animator and filmmaker. He's most notably known for his contributions for the original Toy Story and A Bug's Life. He's also teached animation at the California College of Arts and was also a professor in the animation department at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco, California. He's also done some independent films such as Outside the Box, and the 1984 short film Futuropolis, which we'll get to. Here he is, Steve Seagal. Steve, welcome. Happy to have you here. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks for asking me. Of course. Sure. Definitely. Our pleasure. Happy to have you here. So to kick this off, we know who you are, and I kind of introduced you a little bit. But in your own words, would you care to introduce yourself a little bit and what you do? Well, uh, yeah, I'm a... Uh independent filmmaker and uh, studio animator and independent animator. I had my own studio for uh, about 20 years and worked, uh, that was in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, then I worked freelance in Los Angeles, uh, lots of odd jobs, even uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, and which is, you know, of course Pee Wee, that's been in the news lately because sadly, Paul Rubens passed away, and I did get to work directly yeah. uh, with Paul Rubens, who I'm sure you've heard was very, very creative and and really mm-hmm. two two personalities. Because when he was working and not on camera, he was uh, serious, you know, very dedicated, very creative. Um, then when he's in costume, even when the cameras weren't rolling, he was Pee Wee. Uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. So. Kind of before getting into animation, what was your background like and how did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and, um, you know, just had, I mean, I guess everybody's uh, upbringing is normal to them because that's the only one you know. Uh, Got uh, two brothers and a sister and uh, really enjoyed playing and, you know, I wasn't too much into sports. I really loved movies. And, uh, you know, as soon as I realized you could do it by making little flip books in the corners of my uh, notebooks at school when I was bored, um, I just started doing that. That's what I really love to do. And got a, you know, Super 8 camera. Actually, I got an 8 millimeter camera. Played around with that and, you know, switched over to Super 8. I remember being really upset, like, how can they change the standard? They've got it all worked out. But then I realized, oh, Super 8's much better. And it had a giant sprocket holes because it was really Super 8 millimeter was just 16 millimeter sliced in half. So they, they really made a much better solution with Super 8. Nice. Absolutely. 
So now, what inspired you to want to become an animator? Well, mostly Walt Disney. Um, I watched uh, the Mickey Mouse Club. I'm of that generation. Um, I mean, I definitely remember Walt Disney being alive and being the host of uh, Disneyland TV show. And one time, I think it was Walt Disney Presents and then The Wonderful World of Color. And I uh, also loved the Looney Tunes, uh, you know, the Warner Brothers cartoons, like uh, Woody Woodpecker, like... Uh, I liked a lot of cartoons, <laughs> didn't we all? Absolutely. Yes. Definitely. So, kind of curious, do you remember what your very first animation job was? Uh, I, I kind of eased into it. Um, I, I did little uh, odds and ends, and I think the first thing I got paid for was an, a logo for... I think it was Woodbury Appliances. I'm going to say Woodbury, Illinois, kind of like a Circuit City or a home, uh, Best Buy kind of thing. And it was a little, I think they already had the logo character. It was a little wood stump. And I animated it. And I just did it on paper, painted cells. And I, I think I was uh, probably a sophomore in college. And so I went to the film department. The film teacher had built an animation stand out of wood. And um, so he was enough into animation to do that. And so he gave me time on the on the machine. Um, but prior to that, I mean, I was making my own films and I had already won some awards for my my short films. And so I won, I won money, you know, I think I one time won $500. That was big money back in the late 60s. Very nice, very nice. So as, as you mentioned earlier, back in the 80s, you did some FX animation work for Pee Wee's Playhouse, of course, starring the late, great Paul Rubens. What was it like working on Pee Wee's Playhouse? Uh, well. Well, you know, I, I kind of came in and out mostly. I mean, I did Cowboy Curtis's Lariat mm. and I worked mostly at home. They sent me a big pack of animation paper that had an outline of Lawrence Fishburne, who played Cowboy Curtis. And uh, then I animated my own designs of what the Lariat would do. The, the, the I don't even think they had... A specific idea they just wanted something that looked magical so i made sure it didn't do what a normal lariat would do but it had proper amount of follow-through so it kind of looked like a lariat but it made uh designs um and shapes and at one point made a dinosaur uh i did get the set that i think that was, was that the first season uh, the second season, I believe they is when they moved to L.A. And so I did have some interaction at the studio, which is pretty chaotic. Uh, I remember uh, chatting uh, with, i trying to remember the director's name, Steve. Uh, anyway, I can't remember who directed it, but um, and he was in the process of figuring out how to make 
an animated floor, flooring. And they, you know, the corner of the floor curls up, but they hadn't quite figured out how do you make a floor come alive? And so I remember going to the studio and he was chatting with me about that. Um, so <laughs> that was, that was kind of crazy, but it was very, it was very focused. I mean, uh, Paul Rumas was very, was very focused. It was a certain amount of sort of controlled chaos because uh, he knew what he wanted. He knew what would be entertaining, what would be different from what's on TV. Um, and uh, one of the jobs they gave me was um, uh, the uh, stock footage uh, person. Um, I think they call it an, an archivist. Uh, I can't even remember. This was, I mean, how long ago was this? 40 years ago? Um, so they, um, the job was going out to the uh, stock footage houses. This is before YouTube, before digital. And they had six rolls of 16 millimeter film. They would put on a moviola and you'd look at them and say, you know what we need. I remember they said, we need uh, a slumber party. We need people dancing around in a slumber party. So they, these stock footage houses had catalogs, big books with, or, you know, I think we had by that time computer databases, so you could look up stuff. You couldn't do computer video, but you could at least look up a database and say, oh, that's in this reel. And they would, they had little, some some of the students, there was about three of them in the Hollywood area, which is uh, close to where I lived at the time. And they had little pictures. And then I say, yeah, you know, that one I think is gonna work for, for Pee Wee. And that, and along with that job was finding the cartoons for the king of cartoons. Uh, they liked little oddball films. So, uh, you know, I knew some stuff that wasn't commonly known uh, of iWorks cartoons, Van Buren studio uh, stuff wasn't on the TV and George Powell puppetoons uh, weren't being seen, uh, even though the puppetoons were from Paramount, but I guess that catalog had been sold to King Features or anyway, the puppetoons had kind of gotten forgotten. Um, so I showed Paul Rubens a lot of that stuff. And a lot of it I got from uh, Mark Kausler, who's a really great animator, worked on Who'd Frame Roger Rabbit, has a really good collection nice. of, uh, of old cartoons. And also, are you talking about Steve Oaks? Uh, Steve Oaks, I think, was one of the people who founded Broadcast Arts, which is a studio that did it. But mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I've got, I'm I'm on my uh, my phone, which is normally where I'd go on IMDb and see who directed the Peter Gabriel videos. Stephen R. Johnson was the one who directed it. That's uh, the guy. Yes. The music video. Yes, that is who. I, so it was another Steve. So there are a lot of. A lot of Steve's. I'm sorry, right. we're inundated with Steve's, but so many Steve's. company included. So now, um, some of your best known animation work includes various Pixar projects. Now, I'm kind of curious, how did you begin like starting working for them? Okay, yeah, that's. I think that's pretty interesting, um, and uh, I was highly motivated uh, to to work at Pixar. It it kind of goes back to working on the Brave Little Toaster, 
um, which uh, Jerry Reese, the director, had seen a film I made at a film festival, and he thought I might be a good person to add uh, to the staff. Almost everybody on that film was from Cal Arts, and I didn't I didn't go to Cal Arts, um, uh, but luckily Jerry Reese was uh, open minded enough to say, "Oh, you know, let's let's give this guy a, a try." And on that film, I met uh, Joe Ramped. I became pretty good friends with Joe Ramped, who was a wonderful, wonderful human being, uh, super friendly, very generous with his time, generous with his money, um, immensely creative. You know, if you've, if you've heard of him, he's the head of story at Pixar, was crucial to the creation of Toy Story. Um, he was the head of story on, on uh, Brave Little Toaster. And uh, so that was sort of a, an in at uh, Pixar, but I already knew John Lasseter and how I knew John Lasseter was um, I, I saw his student film called Lady and the Lamb uh, at a show of student films. I'm always interested in you know, what people are doing. And uh, I thought, well, this is, this thing is great. If you haven't seen the film, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Um, it's uh, wonderfully creative. It has heart and humor. It tells a story. It has a character you can relate to. Um, immensely inventive. And I went, wow, this guy is somebody to watch. This is John Lasseter as a student. Then a couple years later, I remember reading in Starlog magazine that uh, there's an, a Disney animator who's working with computer graphics. And I would I had gotten interested in computer graphics. I, I, I had a Commodore 64 that I actually wrote a program to do, to create, to move type around, which I used in one of my films. And um, so I was already interested in computer graphics and then, but I had seen a lot and I said, okay, there's something wrong with computer graphics. It just doesn't look right. Sorry, I'm giving a really long answer to your question. <laughs> and no, I can that's give right. a short, uh, short version if you need it. But I find this interesting. So I went to a computer graphics conference called SIGGRAPH. And I, I heard um, the moderator, who I believe was Bill Croyer, who uh, was instrumental. He was important in computer graphics because... He did. He worked on Tron. Uh, he had done a lot of computer graphics work himself, and he also directed um, a Fern Gully. Uh, so uh, at the when the thing was over, he had and Bill Croyer had mentioned John Lasseter in his talk. Um, I only I think I caught the the tail end of it because I didn't have any money, so I couldn't get in. I snuck in. I snuck in after it had started, and um, don't do that, boys and girls. Um, so I, um, I had to think. When it was over, I went up to Bill Croyer and I said, oh, "You mentioned in your talk John Lasseter, and I'm interested in his work." Um, and then I realized I don't even know what what I'm asking. I said, yeah, uh, "What does he look like?" <laughs> you know, now everybody knows what he looks like, but then uh, that was probably the late 70s, um, nobody knew who he looked like. And he said, 
Well, he's sitting right over there. So he was sitting at a table chatting with Chris Wedge, who was the director of Ice Age and one of the founders of Blue Sky Studio. So I introduced myself to both of them. And I told them about my film, which is the same one that Jerry Reese had seen. And I managed to get a projector and show it at SIGGRAPH, even though it's not really a computer animated film. Uh, it does have the text that the moves with a little program that I wrote. And um, so I, I had a connection with, with John Lasseter and I would keep in touch with him uh, from time to time. And then once I knew Joe Raft and finished, we wrapped on Brave Little Toaster. Uh, I said, I saw John Lasseter at some event at the Most Picture Academy. And I said, hey, I hear you're, you got a, a feature deal with Disney. If you need animators, I'm really interested in computer animation. I've been doing some myself. And he said, sure, send your reel. So I sent my reel, didn't hear anything. Uh, then uh, probably six months later, he called me up and said, hey, you know what? We're looking for people. Uh, send your latest reel. And uh, didn't hear anything then. I went, geez, the director called me personally and still nothing. So they must have hated my reel. Well, it turns out that Disney had shut down the production right about that time. I'm sure you know that Disney shut down Toy Story. And so whether or not they hired me is a very small consequence when their entire film has been shut down. And uh, John, to his credit, said to Disney, well, how about le let's just lay everybody off except our key story people and we'll rewrite the whole story which they did. They re rewrote the whole story. I've heard various stories that they did it in like a week, but they did it very quickly. They went off on a retreat, rewrote the whole story, uh, presented it to Disney, and it was a much better film. And uh, do you guys know the story? That a little part bit, yeah. It? I've seen articles about it, yeah. Because it was, um, apparently Disney had wanted to attract teenagers, uh, a, adults not just children to the film and so they wanted it to be edgy so woody was kind of a bastard you know he's really a mean guy mm -hmm. um there are elements of that because he's a little self-centered in the movie but he's the the key scene is like when when uh buzz comes and he, he's being welcomed woody goes to shake his hand and he it's he fakes him out and he just tosses him aside. And I think he tosses him out the window. And uh, later on, they rewrote that so that he accidentally, you know, he means to knock him behind a dresser, but the lamp swings around and knocks him out the window. Right. But in the original, he throws him out the window. So, um, but that was the, that was the Woody that, Disney wanted, not the Woody that John Lasseter wanted. So John was able to, and John and, and Joe and uh, I understand and Pete Doctor, uh, those were the key oh, yeah. people in the story department then. Brad Bird would come later. Um, uh, so luckily they they did that. And then they, by the when Disney said, yeah, okay, uh, we like this version better. Uh, so they un- <laughs> they uncanceled it. Uh, they gave it a green light and they um, started hiring animators and they got a call from Ralph Guggenheim 
he offered me a job. Ralph Guggenheim, the producer of Toy Story. So long, but then you know what? I think it's appropriate because these things usually involve lots of different pathways. So you you have to get your work out. You have to get make as many contacts as you can um, if you want to if you want to be successful. So you know, making I ended up doing work for Bill Croyer. Maybe it had something to do with me chatting with him at SIGGRAPH. Maybe he had seen my work somewhere or somebody had recommended me. So now, do you have any like favorite scenes from Toy Story? Oh, well, I, you know, I have scenes that I remember seeing that I was really impressed with. Hmm. Uh, do you mean scenes that I did or just scenes in general? Uh, scenes that you did. <laughs> Scenes that I did, um, uh, let's see. Well, you know, I remember when uh, the toys are in the back of the moving van and the, yeah, uh -huh. um, the uh, Buzz, I guess Woody and Buzz are, are on the RC car. And um, I guess this is after they light the rocket and the car continues and hits them. Uh, there, all the toys are in the back of the truck, and the RC car hits Potato Head, and all the pieces go flying. Uh, and I remember I I had suggested, what if we uh, leave his shoes there, so his pieces fall. And then I said, oh, you know what else we could have his hat fall, and that takes a little extra time. And they actually had what they called a frame jar, kind of like a coin the jar coin says if you if they you give them an idea they really like they say okay this this idea is good enough we're going to give you an extra 12 frames here you go reach into the frame jar and here are your 12 extra frames or whatever you you need because the rendering was took so long it was such an, an advanced problem that they just couldn't make they couldn't afford to make the film any longer than it was on the reels, on the you know the story reels. Right. So, but if you had a good enough idea, and I, you know everybody always wants that little extra time to just get the gag to work just right, and uh, you know I learned a lot from from John mostly. John really knew his stuff. You know, I'm I guess I'm supposed to talk negatively about John Lasseter because he. You know, he acted inappropriately. Yeah, got into some trouble uh, in recent years. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, because uh, in the in working on Toy Story and also just looking at his all of his early work, I had immense admiration for John Lasseter. To me, he was, you know, like Walt Disney. You know, I mean, I lived when Walt Disney was alive, but uh, you know, I I would never I never met him. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so it was difficult for me to see John in any other light because I haven't worked, you know, I was laid off from uh, Pixar. They just had too many animators to just keep that. Because when we, uh, when Bugs Life was in production, Toy Story 2 was in production and that was just too much to have mm -hmm. two films in production at that time. They can do it now. Uh, so that, they laid out and I was I was actually the oldest animator on a Bug's Life. Uh, so, you know, it's made sense. Uh, younger guys have more energy. But anyway, 
Uh, so I don't, I don't have any connection, any contact with John Lasseter, but you know, I, I got in trouble at one of my schools uh, because somebody asked me about John Lasseter and I just said, you know, he's a really great director. And I guess you're not supposed to say anything good about somebody who's misbehaved. Right. Makes sense. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I don't know which side of it makes sense. It, I think both both sides make sense that you don't want to defend somebody such to say, oh, you know, oh, it's okay to do this because you're a creative genius. No, obviously it's not okay. Uh, right. But at the same time, you know, I can look at um, a filmmaker like, well, let me think who's um, no, my, my brain's not working. Well, like a Woody Allen. You know, I, I'm, I have a great admiration for Woody Allen as a writer-director, but, you know, he's made some very poor choices in terms of how, you know, his his social life. Um, but he's still a brilliant director, maybe the best, one of the best of all time, writer-director. Definitely. Um, I, it, you know, I think you have to separate the art from the artist. Right. Absolutely. So... You so also I mean, I worked probably, on. I, I may have bypassed the question. Was there a question there that I I maybe didn't answer? No, no, no. You no, it. no. You answered You're it. Good. It's all good. Okay. It's all good. You also worked good. on the uh, Toy Story CD-ROM games. Oh, that's a flashback for me. It was uh, uh the old point-and-click games, which we grew up with. What was it like animating for the CD-ROM games? And, how much of a challenge was it compared to the movie? Uh, well, it was a bit of a challenge. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not really in a gamer, um, so I'm not. I mean, I sort of know what playing a game is like, and the biggest challenge is like if you have a character and he's running and he's supposed to jump, you click and he jumps. Uh, you know, the way I learned to animate is if a character jumps, he anticipates the jump. Something I'm getting a message here anyway. Um, but if you anticipate, then you don't get the guy jumping at the moment that you click something. So right. it's it's not it's you know it's very unsatisfying as a player to have to wait for your character to jump it can screw up your timing but uh, but as an animator you say well you know the jump won't look good unless he goes down before he goes up well that, that was the problem i remember they said they said oh there's tricks you can do as he's jumping you know you arch his back you bone his shoulders and you know it's it's not it's not the ideal way to animate um and there's a lot of a lot of things like that. I mean, it's 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 hard to make a character emote. You you know that's that's what makes for a great story as you get involved in the in the characters. A lot of it has to do with their body language and their face. But most of these the game stuff that I've been involved with is pretty much just running and jumping and fighting and you know doing that. I think games have gotten a lot more sophisticated since then. But that was really just something uh, they they gave to the animators so that we would they would keep us busy. They didn't want to lay off their staff um, in between films, so they would find things to do. I remember we did uh, 
what they call the interstitials, ABC TV in between the programming, they would run a few seconds of a, of a little cartoon with the Toy Story characters. And they pretty much gave, handed them out for us to direct. You know, it was like a one-man operation and there's a whole bunch of So I had one, um, I, I can't even remember what the title was, but it was something to do with watching TV. <laughs> hmm. Oh, well, I, I did, um, I worked on an attraction at the theme parks based on Bugs Life. Oh yeah, and so we were animating um, Hopper and Flick before they were being animated for the feature. So we already had we had Dave Foley's voice, and uh, so we were actually doing animation. I had a extended scene with Flick introducing uh, some insects. Um, he was introducing uh, the. Is it the fart? The fart bug? <laughs> a stink bug. A stink bug. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that was good experience, you know, to before I got to animate on Bugs Life. And I, I actually wanted to work on it. I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, 3D. And I heard they were going to do a 3D film for the for the theme parks. And I said, I'd like to, I'd like to be involved with that. And I'm still actively involved with with 3d i've made a couple of films by myself in 3d and gone to some 3d conventions and just back just a couple of days ago i i went to see uh uh jurassic park uh and it had been converted 10 years ago for the 20th anniversary and then they brought it back for the 30th anniversary hard to believe jurassic park is 30 years old i know it's crazy. Uh, it's interesting. The, the we did um, uh, Flick and Hopper, and um, then uh, uh, Rhythm. I believe it was Rhythm and Hughes. Chris Bailey was the director uh, at Rhythm and Hughes, and they did all the other characters. So Flick will introduce a character, and then the character will come out to actually sort of like fly out into the audience, so they're hanging in space in three-dimensional space. And they did a beautiful job. It's just really interesting that they had to, you know, dovetail two studios with different rendering processes, different, you know, they somehow managed to merge that stuff together in 3D. So kudos to the techs on that one. Definitely. Rhythm News, they were, they, you know, they were a great studio. They did some brilliant work. So you also did animation for another Pixar movie, A Bug's Life, and it's funny enough that you just mentioned that. Um, what was, what was it getting, what's it like getting to do with that? Um, yeah, I mean, that was more, definitely more complicated than Toy Story because it had a lot more characters. Hmm. Um, I think uh, probably Woody was a better defined character uh, than Flick. Not that there's anything wrong with Flick and not that there's anything wrong with Dave Foley, but it's, you know, it's hard to compete with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks has so much inflection in his voice. I think Dave Foley was a, actually a good choice. Uh, it was also complicated because the Toy Story, they deliberately said, you know, we're, this is, we're, 
Computer graphics is new. Nobody had done a feature length film in computer graphics. Um, I think Tron had like 17 minutes of computer graphics. So they said, let's make flat surfaces. So, you know, they're on a table or on a floor. And even the bed they had to develop a technology. So the bed would give under their weight. But the, uh, in Bugs Life, the, every surface is uneven. The ground has grass and plants and leaves and everything. And all the ground is uneven. And uh, so that was very complicated, slowed down the computer processing. So when you're animating, you're not exactly sure where the floor is. You have to like make it show up and then that's slowing down your process. And then you have to kind of turn off the floor so you can get, get a faster feedback while you're animating. And it's hard to relate to now because computers are so fast now. Uh, but back then, I mean, you know, you can play a game and see how fast those, it gives you a fully rendered image. But back then on, uh, Toy Story and Bugs Life, you know, we would animate, uh, Woody would be like just an oval and uh, sort of barrel shape for the chest and tubes for arms. Uh, I think there's some footage on the bonus features on the DVD uh, that where you can see what it, what it looked like, but it was very primitive. You, you know, if you're animating, holding on to something, you don't maybe don't even see any fingers unless you specifically say, oh, show the fingers. The very first shot I had on Bugs Life was the little blueberry. They're kind of like Girl Scouts mm -hmm. and uh, they're running and um, and they're jumping off a little hill and uh, they, they turned, you know, they had these tools where you could turn off parts of the landscape, these were fairly new tools that the techs had invented. And uh, I was just like turning on and off different parts. And I noticed uh, like a clover or some stalk. And I went, oh, you know, one of them could run up and jump and hold on and slide down. And it just seemed like it made sense. But uh, John and, and uh, Andrew, Andrew was the co-director and they came by my my workstation and they said oh well that's really good what you're doing and so john started to figure out okay you should slow this girl down so everybody can see you know they, he wanted that action to be staged properly and i was only i didn't even think about doing that until i turned on that part of the landscape because when i first brought the scene in it i couldn't see that so you know it's, it's important to look around before you get started, but it's nice that uh, it was kind of an eye-opener because I would it didn't even occur to me that I should restage the action to focus on that one thing. It was just like I was just adding some flavor to the action. But uh, John knew that it, it, that little shot, a few seconds long, would play better if it's if I changed the staging to so that everybody could see that little action, and it does look good. I mean, I'm pretty proud of that little scene. It was my very first shot on on Bugs Life. Probably my favorite shot on Bugs Life. I'll go back to the question you asked on Toy Story. There's a scene when the, well, you can see the, the feet of the grasshoppers go through the 
the ceiling. That, that's mm -hmm. is pretty easy to animate. I mean, it's you know, you're just doing a foot. Um, it's a very dramatic scene. But then, the, but just before that happens, one of the parent, I'll say, mother, uh, aunt, is sort of cradling their kids to protect them. And I remember uh, Andrew Stanton turned over to me and said, "Little kids are going to cry." <laughs> so. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that scene came out pretty good. It's a very short, I should not say scene, it's a shot. Right, definitely. Definitely. So, aside from uh, animating Pixar movies, you also animated a Pixar short, Gary's Game. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, is it Jer Jerry, Jerry's Game? Because Jerry is short for geriatric, because he's an old man. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was working for uh, Jan Pinkova, who came up with the original idea for Ratatouille. Actually, was the original director. Uh, got replaced by by Brad Bird, um, and I really like like Jan. He was all another person who was that anomaly. He didn't go to Cal Arts. Actually, there are a few people at Pixar. I was referring to Brave Little Toaster, but yeah, so quite a quite a number of of uh, people at Pixar went to Cal Arts, including John Lasseter and Andrew Stanton, Joe Ramp. Um, but um, Glenn McQueen, who was one of the leads on uh, Bugs Life, uh, he, he went to, well, he, he didn't go to Cal Arts. I'm thinking he, I, th I think he's from New York Institute of Technology, but I'm, I might be mistaken, but anyway. Um, and he's, he passed away a number of years ago, but he was a really great guy. Um, but uh, I forgot what, what my point was. <laughs> what was the question again? It was about uh, working on uh, Jerry's Game. Oh, oh, Jerry's Game, yeah. Jan Pinkov is from, from Europe. Really great guy. Very, very intelligent. Um, uh, from, I believe, Czechoslovakia uh, or the Czech Republic. Um, and uh, I didn't do very much on that. I did a few little scenes of Jerry, one uh, like close-up shot of him putting down the glasses. Um, but I remember chatting with him when uh, he was coming up with the idea because uh, he had done some of the Listerine commercials. And I remember um, just you know playing out in the yard, I think like, tossing a football or something just so you're getting out of the studio. And I found out that he had done one of those commercials that I really liked. And uh, so, you know, if somebody has something that I like, I'll, I'll seek them out just as I did with John Lasseter. So we kind of became friends and uh, I, I, he's, a, he's a great guy. So yeah, I, they, they asked me to be on that. I think I probably would have done more on Jerry's game, but it overlapped with the uh, "It's Tough to Be a Bug" the 3D movie. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't get on "It's Tough to Be a Bug" till after. I mean, uh, on Jerry's game until after "It's Tough to Be a Bug" wrapped. Hmm. But yeah, hmm. I did. I did three, three or four little quick little shots. One where he puts his hand on his head. Mm -hmm. Not much. <laughs> Mm, that's big. So moving on from your work with Pixar, you also animated the Sesame Street insert Animal Books. Mm, I did. Yes. What was it like doing that for, for Sesame Street? Such an iconic show. 
Uh, yeah, it's really, I think back and I was, I feel very lucky that I got to work on shows that I, I like to watch and that I'm, I'm proud to have on my resume. Uh, you know, and a lot of people have, you know, Smurfs or, you know, a lot of Hannah Barbera and a lot of people who worked at Hannah Barbera. It's perfectly respectable work. But it's not something that you point to and say, that's the apex of this kind of work. But yeah, Sesame Street, that was, you know, great. So, I mean, I'm a little too old. to. When, by the time Sesame Street started, I was already an adult. Uh, but I was a fan of the Muppets. I remember seeing the Muppets on like the Ed Sullivan show. And I loved what they were doing. That The, the, the commercials were these films about numbers and letters such a clever idea and uh i remember i was working uh arlene sherman was the animation producer and i think she had gotten word of me from you know i don't know probably from my my independent film work from films that were in film festivals and um it was it was very little money but the nice thing is they said there's no deadline you know just However long it takes, we know that you're, you know, you're a working animator. But uh, so, yeah, I had a, they had a something in mind. They wanted to do animal books. They wanted it to be a song. Um, they, and I, I used my Amiga computer, and the the video toaster. And the video toaster, if you've never heard of it, it was actually invented by Dana Carvey's brother. Hmm. I'll say for the audience, it was invented by Garth. You know, Garth from Wayne's World? Oh, yes. It's based on Dana hmm. Carvey's brother, uh, Brad Carvey. He invented this device that uh, lets you output from the computer to video at a time when that didn't exist. And uh, I used it to animate this very simplified character, kind of like shaped like an egg with legs and arms and um, and a little song. And I, I actually hired a friend of mine named Will Ryan, who's a, a voice talent, but also a musician. And he wrote a wonderful little song, uh, very peppy, sort of late 20s style song that I really wanted to animate to, but the brass at Sesame Street didn't like it. And they wanted to use Joe Raposo, who had done a lot of, I think he'd done It's Not Easy Being Green, and a lot of songs that were iconic with uh, Sesame Street. And so they went with that song, and you know, who am I to? But I figure maybe I was prejudiced because it was my friend had written the song, but I still love his song. I'm glad I, I have it. <clears throat> but yeah, I did a lot of, I did a lot of complicated stuff in that. And I look at it and go, why does it not look more impressive? I remember I have, it's about books. It's called animal books. And so I'd animated these books. And at one point the book just flaps its pages like a bird and all the pages, all the pages of the book fly out of the book and make a tunnel. And I had animated some of the pages, but the other pages I had actually mathematically figured out how, and this is child's play for a, a tech, a coder, but for me, an animator, to actually figure out how to place those pages so that they match. 
I'm still impressed that I could figure out how to do that. I don't think I could do it today. But to look at it, because computer graphics are so magical to everyone that anything you do in it is like, well, of course, use a computer. So anything that you do, no matter how hard it is, today, right today, like two hours ago, I was working on something and I was just trying to keep the image from moving off the screen. And I go, what is causing it to move? I've got some keys in here. I got to find, why is this so hard? It shouldn't be this hard. But yeah, that's, that's the life. But it's, it's, it's not impressive because, well, we've seen so much. I mean, like I said, I just saw Jurassic Park. That's 30 years ago. Oh my God, how yeah. could they have done that? And, and I, I hadn't, I didn't even remember, but at the end of the movie, all the credits are at the end. Um, Dennis Murin gets a sole credit for his, I don't remember how, what the frame, what the title is, something like uh, computer dinosaur, whatever. He's the guy who created, I think Phil Tippett gets his own credit too. It's kind of like a, cons a dinosaur consultant. Hmm. And so does Stan Winston, who built hmm. the full-size dinosaurs. So it was a great collaboration of all of those those people. Definitely. So. Definitely. So you mentioned a couple times uh, animating various independent films. Can you kind of talk a bit about your uh, independent film work? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think my first was uh, in the late 60s, I think 68. And um, I had a film called Walk in the Black Forest that won some prizes. I think it won first place <clears throat> in the Super 8 Film Festival because uh, it was done in Super 8 with sound. And uh, my first film in 16 millimeter got uh, a couple of major awards. Um, I can't even remember now because, yeah, we, we're going way back. I think that's 1972. So that's, mm -hmm. what was that, like uh, a little over 50 years ago? Mm -hmm. um, I should have celebrated. I, I can say, you know, just to be a, a, an iconoclast, I could say, I'm going to celebrate its 51st year this year. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, that was exciting, and um, it's uh, I can not really able to recapture past glories I've made. I'm and when I was working, I kind of built up. I would I would, and when I started, um, I I started in high school, and my Super Eight film definitely helped me get into art school. I remember. That they were definitely on the fence because I'm not a brilliant artist. I can't paint very well. My drawing is okay, um, but uh, I showed them this film and they went, you know, wow, he's in. And so, you know, they wanted me to get put me in their art school, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, which is mm -hmm. I really enjoyed uh, that. If anybody's looking for a state-supported school. I don't know what it costs now. It was very, very inexpensive when I went. But again, that was 50 years ago. Um, 
And uh, so I just continued to make films because I love to do it. And, uh, you know, I, when I had my studio in Richmond, uh, I would get work sporadically. You know, I would be, I, I remember there was one period where I had six months with no work. And I made a film called Red Ball Express that got more awards than any film I'd ever made. And I think, oh, well, that was a good use of my six months. I also built an animation stand. I had been shooting commercial animation by just bolting a camera to a piece of wood. Uh, and it, it, it just photographed whatever I drew. But now I was able to build by uh, adapting an, a copy stand I was able to move the camera up and down and move the artwork left and right pretty much and rotate it uh, pretty much like the professionals. And I was able to build that and make that film in that six month period. So I think about if people say, oh, you know, I'm not getting any work. I can't get a job. So great. Now you can really do something, you know, because Red Ball Express, I mean, that film it was at one film festival and Ward Kimball, who's one of the nine old men, was a judge at the festival mm -hmm. and he wanted to buy a print. And he's the animator who did, uh, was in charge of Jiminy Cricket and the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland and the Crows in Dumbo. And he's literally my favorite animator of all the animators. And I got to meet him because of the film I made. And it was about a train, and he loves trains. So, so yeah, take advantage of those periods of time when you don't have any work. You Absolutely. might do, you might come out with something great. Uh, so, yeah, I loved that. I loved going to film festivals. I loved, you know, I went to a film festival in New York, and I met George Griffin and Kathy Rose. And um, I've got a friend who's here in and. Northern California, Sarah Petty is a brilliant uh, filmmaker and met Chris Cassidy through uh, basically my films and he's still a friend. You know, so it's it's uh, it's great. He's a great special effects animator. Nice. Um, so yeah, I continued to do it. Um, the last, you know, when I was working at the, as a studio animator, um, I didn't have time to make any films and I, you know, did have uh, two children, uh, so that takes some time out of your life as well. So now they're they're left the house, they're grown up, and I'm not working in a studio. I'm essentially retired, and I got back in the saddle and I finished the film a couple of years ago, and I I like it. I thought it came out pretty good, and um, but it didn't get into any of the animation festivals. Got rejected at all of them. It got it got into festivals about 30 festivals, but there are so many more festivals than back when I was making films in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, it's it's mind boggling. Um, it's kind of, you know, the best of times, the worst of times to uh, borrow a phrase uh, from Mark Twain. I think it was Mark Twain, was it? No. Uh, Dickens, Charles Dickens, um, uh, because it's so much easier to enter a film festival. Back when I did it, you'd have to get a 16 millimeter print, put it in a mailing case, strap it up, take it to the post office, pay, you know, $15 or 20 or whatever it costs. 
then the print itself would cost who knows how much. And so you can only afford a few prints. And then while their festival is considering it, you're saying, well, if you're not going to put it in your festival, give it back so I can send it somewhere else. Now you push a button, your film is entered. So easy. I know. And it's easy for the festivals. So there are thousands of them. There were probably dozens of them back then. So <laughs> you don't know you don't know who to enter. Right. <laughs> but I entered the, the big animation <laughs> festivals. Um, I mean, I got into some littler animation festivals, but the big ones didn't didn't get in. But I'm working on another one. And we'll see. So over the years, you also taught animation at different schools. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, that's a great way to uh, sort of fill in the gaps when you're if you have a free if you're a freelancer or I had a little studio and we were working job to job. So wouldn't always have uh, work, you know, especially in in Richmond, people don't would come uh to Richmond to find uh, an animation studio. So we would get some people locally. So then in between, and I taught at Virginia Commonwealth University, this my alma mater. And uh, it was great because, you know, a lot of times I would pick the best students could come and work at my studio. We got some great people who still work in animation now. Um, People who've done, you know, very, very well in the industry. Uh, so that's very gratifying. You learn a lot from students. You know, you get inspired by seeing what they're doing. You kind of get better at communicating because you, you say, oh, you know, they didn't understand how I said that. How can I say that more clearly? Uh, so that's, and you become really aware of that when you're like making a, a YouTube video of a tutorial that, oh, okay, I want to make sure I don't make a mistake. Because, you know, the way most of us work is you kind of stumble around. Like the, the thing I did today where, okay, something's moving and then I'll troubleshoot it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, it's wonder, wonderful teaching. I, I remember um, taking history of motion pictures and the, um, uh, really, really enjoyed it when it was introduced to international films, to Fellini and um, uh, Antonioni, and uh, saw Citizen Kane, which I love. And um, at the end of the class, I remember uh, complaining to the teacher that there was no mention of animation. And I said, you know, we could put a list of like really groundbreaking a dozen or so groundbreaking animated shorts that would fill up one one program, you know, just devote one session to that. And I said, really, you could do an entire class devoted to animation if you wanted to. And uh, she said, well, you should do that. And I said, well, I wasn't talking about me. I, somebody else can do that. And they said, we should you should propose the class. So I did. And uh, I created a syllabus for history of animation, and I had never taken a class. I had never seen a syllabus. I pretty much used Leonard Malton's book of Mice and Magic, both as the text and the template, because he had broken the chapters down like silent and Disney, 
Fleischer and other New York studios, Warner Brothers, and I said, I'll do it like that. And that took me up to the first half of the class. Then I went international and I took the sort of the same idea. I said, well, I'll do Canada, then uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Asia. Nice. So that was my class. And I pretty much just get to show cool stuff and talk about it. That's it's pretty cool. And I, so I, I also as... taught uh I also taught production. Um, you know, back way back in the 70s, obviously that was just drawing on paper and or you can, you know, move stuff around under the camera or you can move a human body. Um, you don't have to necessarily paint cells, but we did that too. And then somewhere along the line, started teaching it on the computer, and now it's all computer. So as we're close to wrapping up here, are there any words you'd like to say to those who have supported you and followed your career? There are those people. Well, thanks. Um, you know, there's so many people who are doing amazing things. I wouldn't expect to become famous. You know, they, they, they. The, the true test is, uh, you know, I'll say, I'll, well, I'll stop somebody on the street and say, what do you, what do you think of Bob Clampett? And they go, oh, is that the guy who was on the Beverly Hillbillies? And I go, no, he's one of the great animators of all time. Or today I'll say, don't you love Bill Plimpton's stuff? And they go, I don't know who that is. And you might not either, <laughs> but, uh, you know, an amazingly prolific, brilliant animator working today, contemporary, but you don't get famous doing this unless you're Walt Disney, maybe Chuck Jones. That's why I said Bob Clampett, Chuck Jones kind of made it over the hump, but even Richard Williams, you say. So you don't do it to get famous, you do it because you love it. And so if you love it, do it. If you don't love it, don't do it. Of course. Don't do it, don't do it for the money, because the money ain't there. Money right. ain't there. Right. Right, yeah. Huh. Yeah, exactly. So if people would will, will like to connect with you, where can people find you? Uh, Spiegel Tunes is my website. It's pretty bare bones, but it has uh, a link to an email. Nice. Um, so, um, I mean, I'm on Facebook. I think I'm just Steve Siegel on Facebook. And, you know, if you search for me, you're going to get the martial arts guy, even though he spells his first name and his last name differently. And if you put Steve Siegel and it's Steve, S-T-E-V-E, Siegel, S-E-G-A-L, if you put animation after it, you're going to get an animation of the martial arts guy. It's really hard to get to me. You can't, you can't Google me. Right? That guy, Steven Seagal, he's he's gonna get he's gonna pop his head up in my in in the search for me all over the place. Yes, and you're like But if you're diligent, you will eventually find something that says that doesn't look like Steven Seagal. Might might be me. Let's try it. Yeah. Yeah, let's link to, uh, link to your website <laughs> and your social media will be below for people to connect. Yes, and uh, so you might be able to. So about two weeks ago, somebody sent me an email and said, 
I remember seeing a film I made called Pandora's Box, pretty obscure film. And she said, I, I still remember it from, you know, 50 years ago. And I went, how the hell did you find me? He said, well, it took some effort, but he did some Googling and he was able to stumble upon my email address. So um, I would be I would be loath to give it out. But you know what? No, I don't get that. I get a lot of junk mail from people who aren't looking for me, just trying to sell me something. So <laughs> people are actually trying to, to communicate with me. That would be a welcome change. Would be nice. Would be nice. So this last question that Chris is about to ask, we ask all of our guests. Go ahead, Chris. Yes. So, of course, this podcast is called Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. When you think of nostalgia, what do you think of, or in your own words, how would you define the word nostalgia? Oh, uh, well, I mean, it would be something that's fondly remembered. Uh, so in these, you know, warm summer days, I can remember going out and hunting for lightning bugs, and putting them in a jar. Mm. And then you could see it like light up a tiny little area in, in the dark. And that was really fun. It's a little balmy, you know, it's humid in Virginia, uh, but you get a little bit of a, you know, it's cooling down because the sun's, the, the sun is set. And uh, so I kind of like that. A little bit of humidity with a little breeze. It's nice. That's kind of a nostalgic memory for me. Of course, going to the movies and seeing the time machine or the absent-minded professor films that just stimulated my imagination, seeing cartoons, the, the excitement of at the Mickey Mouse Club, they're going to the vault. They're going to open up the doors and they're going to present us with a cartoon. How exciting. Yes, definitely. Yes, that's that's all. Definitely. Well, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. This was a blast. Yes, yes, absolutely. And thank you so much, Steve, for, you know, for what you've done over the years, you know, for, for you've done to be a part of our lives. And, and of course, so many others too. And keep up your great work and cannot wait what's next in store for you. Well, it was a it was a pleasure for me. I'm I'm flattered that you contacted me. Of course, of course. Keep in touch, and I will let you know when this goes up. All right. Yeah, I'll post it on on social media. Nice. Enjoy You're the welcome. rest. Of your, enjoy the rest of your day, Steve. All right. Okay, Steve. Bye. 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 Steve. Bye. You too. It's goodbye from us as well, everyone. We absolutely enjoyed our time with Steve Segal. And keep on the lookout for wonderful interviews. And as always, what do we say, Jake? Keep nostalgia alive. Take care, everyone. See you next time. Take care. Bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show interview. Be sure to follow Jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, remember to keep nostalgia alive. Bye-bye.